is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I didn't have, I'm the one that stopped it. President Obama had child separation. Now I'll tell you something, once you don't have it, that's why you see many more people coming. They're coming like it's a picnic because let's go to Disneyland. U.S. District Judge Robert Seaborg ruled that the administration lacked a legal basis under current law for adopting the policy of returning asylum-seeking Central Americans to Mexico while the requests for asylum are being adjudicated. Our government has betrayed us. Uh, President Obama betrayed us. Gavin Newsom, every, every Jerry Brown, you know, almost every legislator in California has put illegal aliens ahead of American citizens. And the results, the results are a lot of crime and a lot of death. Our own name is in question now. It's no longer the U.S. House of Representatives, because under Speaker Pelosi, you take away the sp- suspensions, more than 20% of the bills have been resolutions that go nowhere, that will not even make it to the president's desk. It's become the U.S. House of Resolutions. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> Welcome to the program. We are going to be chatting with Julie Gunlock, a good friend of mine, uh, and she's a fantastic Second Amendment defender and proponent. But she's going to be joining us to talk about this new rush to have everybody use reusable grocery bags to do their grocery shopping in. And um, I just, first of all, ew. And I have the reusable bag. So this isn't about me not, you know, believing in reusable bags or anything like that. We have some. I usually just recycle the plastic bags that we were given. We recycle them or we reuse them at home for something else. And so I think there are a couple of different ways of tackling it. And we're an innovative country and we have a lot of brilliant minds in the engineering and, and you know, the organizational sectors of our economy who can help us figure out ways to lessen the impact of plastic bags. But Julie's going to talk to us about Um, this banning of the bags in New York State and why it's a horrible, horrible precedent for them to set and what else we can do about it. And we're going to be talking about these criminal referrals to Attorney General Barr this week. Uh, You might have caught Attorney General Barr this morning calmly picking apart the lunacy of the Democrats who just keep on attacking over the Miller report. It's like um, kids in the backseat going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet, mom? Are we there yet? You're like, we will get there in like 10 hours, so calm down. They're going to get their report. They just need to calm down. All right, let's go to George in Missouri. Hey, George, thanks for calling the show today. How are you doing, Stacy? Thank you for doing what you're doing. I just wanted to – I didn't. I don't catch you in this segment, seg, segment on the radio, but uh, when you were talking about the people that don't like America, amen. Yeah, you're pre- preaching to the choir. We, I, I listen to you all the time. And uh, I, uh, am, I call my senators and my congressmen, and, uh, it, you know, I take it a little step further. If these Democrats that are in office that are working for us, if they don't love America and they're not helping America, maybe they ought to need to find another country, too. Mm, thank you. That, that'd be fantastic. Only those guys were born here, so we can't just automatically get rid of them. Um, and, and that's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing that you can't lose your citizenship for, for being an idiot. Um, but it's, it's definitely a problem that we have, and it's stemming out of our public education schools. The, the schools are teaching kids that America is bad, that America is the cause of all ills around the world, 
and that Americans have something that we need to we need to pay. Like we have too much prosperity, too much good things going on here. And that since people are the source of that, our evil deeds are the source of that, we need to somehow you know, kowtow and bow down. And like Obama was the the bower in chief and he was always showing the top of his head to foreign leaders and stuff instead of owning the fact that any nation of people is going to be flawed and make mistakes. But America on the whole has been a force for good rather than evil. If you put everything on two on scales and you say good and bad, what, where does America fall? And it's not because we're fantastic. And, you know, I, I love being an American, but it's because God was in the mix in the beginning and he's still in the mix now. And it is the Christian, it's the, the, it's a part of who we are as Christians that we do good works and try to change things for the better. Right. And so that you see that everywhere you look and it's so much so a part of what we do and what we, we feel like we have to do that that overflows out of this country and goes out into the world where we're trying to do good. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't always work out the way we want it to. But as human beings, we, we have to still be working to, to spread the good and contain the evil, which is what America has been really historically. That's what we've done. So um, we got to stop these unionized teachers from teaching American kids that we're a bad country and that socialism would be better and that we, we we're not a force for good and et cetera, et cetera. All that's, that's got to stop. And if your kids are in public school, you know, God bless you because it is a total battle to keep up with everything that they're doing and try to stop them from really perverting what is a blessing. Cause having a public school system such as the one that we have in America, or I should say had when our test scores were a lot better it's a blessing to be able to say, we're just going to move into this neighborhood and, and our taxes will pay for our kid to go to the school and, you know, volunteer and, and show up to the plays and everything else and make sure your kid shows up to school prepared and, you know, they're ready for college, which used to be the situation. Um, and now it is still the situation for some kids, but not so much for others. That, that, that was a blessing. So it's, it's sad to see us at a place where the kids who've been in public schools for the past 20 and 30 years are now young adults in college, they're finishing with college, or they're young adults in the workforce. And they all have a bone to pick with America. I know when I was growing up, we, we learned about slavery, we, we learned about the, the rougher parts of our history. But it was never, we never left the classroom thinking, geez, I'm ashamed to be an American. We, we left thinking, oh, wow. So that was a tough topic today. But Look how it was resolved. In the end, we came to our senses as Americans on slavery. In the end, you know, we 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 took us a while, but we entered World War II and and brought things to a close, and we did we did good there. We we've done amazing things as a nation, and it's God's grace that we were able to do those things. <sighs> so it's so sad to know that there are people running around drinking Starbucks. Um, you know, and catching Ubers and staying in Airbnbs and mad at America. It's just like, I just don't, I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Um, so now let's get to, I promised you this. Um, Devin Nunez has said that Republicans are sending eight criminal referrals to Attorney General Barr this week. It's number one. So I would say that, first of all, all of these are classified or sensitive. And so because they, a lot of them could contain sensitive or classified information. Uh, five of them are what I would call straight up referrals. So just referrals that are that name someone and name the specific crimes. Those crimes are lying 
to Congress, misleading Congress, leaking classified information. So five of them are, are those types. There are three uh, that I think are more complicated. So you mentioned conspiracy. So uh, the, the question on conspiracy is, is what, you know, there's the conspiracy statute and then what did they, what did they need to look at under that statute? So on the first one is FISA abuse and other matters. We believe there was a conspiracy to lie to the FISA court, mislead the FISA court uh, by numerous individuals that all need to be investigated and looked at uh, that, uh, and we believe the statute is, is the conspiracy statute. The second conspiracy one is uh, involving manipulation of intelligence. Uh, that also could ensnarl uh, many Americans. And we are, so that's kind of the second one. Uh, as you know, we've had a lot of concerns with the way intelligence was used. Uh, so that, that would be uh, kind of the two conspiracy uh, recommendations, referrals that we're, that we're making. Wow. So this is what we were hoping for. And not because we, we want this to go on forever. I mean, God forbid, I actually wish that they could be there hammering out legislation that helps to ensure the safety of Americans and to tackle some of the issues that we're having. I noticed at the end of her little Ebonics-laden uh, speech, AOC, which I just I just realized as I was uh, listening to Abraham Hamilton, the third show, uh, he calls her Alexandria Occasional Cortex. <laughs> so you guys know I just couldn't help myself. That's hilarious. Anyway, um... <laughs> That AOC mentioned that they want to do something about the opioid epidemic. And she, she said that last. So last on her list of priorities, out of all of that bumpio schmumpio, which those aren't real words, but that's like a thing over here at our house. That means it's nothing. That, that little phraseology means nothing. Whatever you're talking about, if you call it bumpio schmumpio, it means nothing. Um, that list of, of nothingness that she was spewing at the end of it, she puts, and do something about the opioid crisis. Really? Let, why don't you leave that to the grown-ups, honey? President Trump and his administration are doing something about the opioid crisis, namely getting China to designate fentanyl as a controlled substance, all derivatives of it, and to make it illegal to traffic it out of China and into our country. That's a huge win for us. Also, the dedicated funding and the programming that they've been working on for the entire two years he's been president, those are doing something, as you like to say, you know, uh, it, to coin your phrase. He's actually doing something about it. So don't worry. Y'all Democrats don't have to work, work on it. We'll just let President Trump uh, continue to tackle the problem. Uh, grownups in the room have it under control. Thanks, AOC. So he then goes on to discuss how there are these information leaks of classified uh, intel and this is really serious stuff. When classified information is leaked to the public, it can endanger the lives of operatives at, in the homeland and abroad. And it can also make it dangerous for um, things that are already in motion to continue because it jeopardizes everything that's already been laid out. And it takes years for our intelligence agencies and our operatives to put together things that they're doing here and abroad. And to have people just willy-nilly leaking it and not getting in trouble, I mean, it's the very definition of the swamp. Let's listen to Nunez. It's number two. The third uh, is what I would call a global leak uh, referral. So there are about a dozen highly, hi highly sensitive 
classified information leaks that were given to only a few reporters over the last two and a half plus years. So, you know, we don't know if there's actually been any leak investigations that have been open, uh, but we do believe that we've got pretty good information and a pretty good idea of who could be behind these leaks. It uh, doesn't mean we know all the people that are behind the leaks because, you know, when you read these, a lot of these, they're always anonymous sources. Uh, and they always say something to the effect of current and, and former senior uh, officials. So we think we've got a pretty good idea of, of who some of the sources are behind this, these leaks. Uh, we don't know if the Department of Justice has been looking at these, but you know, there's just been unprecedented things have happened. So unprecedented things have happened. And in response to that, he's, he's kind of like the lonesome dove over there trying to figure out what to do about it and trying to get some criminal referrals. And it's right for him to do that. But I just wonder why, even if you're opposed to everything that the president is doing, classified intel leaks are a sign that individuals who've sworn an oath to, to this country to protect and uphold the Constitution and to do other things for the FBI, the CIA, et cetera, that they violated their security clearance, that they are obviously operating in ways that are jeopardizing the lives of other Americans. I don't care what your political affiliation is. You should be horrified by that. And you should be thinking to yourself, you know, people have to be brought to justice. You cannot leak classified information without repercussions or it jeopardizes the very system upon which classified information is based, namely that those who do not adhere to classified protocols for data dissemination and retention, those individuals, they jeopardize the work of everyone else. And they make everyone else who is keeping data secure, information secure, they, they make them, what, what are they wasting their time being so careful about who they email and on what phone and what they talk about and what they don't talk about. And when they get home from work and, some, and the you know, wife says, how was the day? Or the husband says, What's, what, what happened good at work today? What do you know good? And they just tell the parts that are unclassified. Why don't they say, you know what, guys, sit down. I got something to tell you. Or when they're out, you know, at happy hour or wherever with their friends on the weekend and they're like, yeah, we know you work for, you know, this agency or that agency. What can you tell us? And nothing because it's top secret, right? And then they say, well, actually... I do have a couple of interesting things I can tell you. No one else is keeping classified infosec. Why should I? This is a problem. Thank God he's working on it. I hope we see some resolution here. When we get back, we'll have Julie Gunlock. Keep it here. It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, health care, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your health care. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 855-PSALM-23. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Here's an important question. Will the courts determine the future of Obamacare? You might be excused for thinking the Supreme Court already decided that question, but there's another case that may affect the Affordable Care Act. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the bill because of four liberal justices and Chief Justice John Roberts. Roberts argued that the mandate in the bill was a tax, and since the federal government has the power to tax, the Affordable Care Act was constitutional. Let's now fast forward to the Republican-controlled Congress when it considered the tax reform legislation known as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. They didn't eliminate the mandate, but they did zero out the penalty. That's when several states, through their attorneys general, filed suit claiming that the elimination of the tax penalty essentially invalidated Obamacare. Their argument was that removing the individual mandate caused the entire bill to collapse on itself. Back in December, U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor agreed with their argument and struck down both the mandate and the entire law. The case is now making its way through the courts and may eventually end up at the Supreme Court. It is certainly possible that the case won't get that far. Many legal experts believe that it was a huge legal leap for Judge O'Connor to invalidate the entire law. But in an unexpected move, the Justice Department has sided with the federal judge. It's worth mentioning that all of this will be taking place during an election year. Since the Republicans could not agree on a replacement plan when they were in power, that's why Democrats are already making a big issue out of health care during this election cycle. I would highly recommend that some members of Congress start talking about what a replacement might actually look like. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being here today. You can find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com and also... AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and I'm Stacy on the right on Twitter and Instagram. It's my pleasure to welcome Julie Gunlock, director of the Center for Progress, Center for Progress and Innovation, Independent Women's Forum. Uh, great organization. I love the women over there, and Julie is no different. Thanks for coming on today, Julie. Good to talk to you. Oh, always thrilled to be on. Thanks for having me. All right, girlfriend. Let's talk about this plastic bag thing. It's so gross. First of all, it's so gross. So I have some of the reusable bags myself. And what I do is if I put meat in them, then I know I have to put that bag um, in, into the wash. You know, it has to be washed on hot. And, right. you know, basically I, I got to clean that bag. So if I put something in the bag and it looks like it made a stain and I don't want that stain in my washing machine, then I just throw the bag away. And this yeah. is all extra work for me because with the plastic bags, I just recycle the ones back at the same grocery store I got them from Great. in a bin outside the door. I just toss them in there, um, the ones that have had meat in them or something that I don't want to reuse. And then the ones that are dry on the inside, I reuse them as trash bags. And, you know, hey, you got gym clothes right. you want to bring home? Here's a bag, you know, that kind of thing. So what's the big deal here? Yes, well, there has been a lot of misinformation about plastic bags. Many of them are recycled and recyclable. And so people, and again, you mentioned that grocery stores often allow you to drop off your, your grocery bags. I actually use store grocery bags around my house. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they're incredibly useful. I use them for garbage bags and I use them um, for other items, you know, when my kid needs to take something somewhere. Um, but there are also, you also are given the option to recycle these bags. I mean, it's, it's almost standard operating practice now that grocery stores encourage you to bring your plastic bags back. Um, but of course, you know, this, this is very similar to straw banning sort of craze that we've seen where people in the West really want to find solutions and want to feel like they're part of the solution. And so environmentalists come up with these ridiculous little things like banning bags or encouraging people to use their own bags, which again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing people who use their own bags. That's fine. And I'll get to that in a minute, but is it really going to help, you know, uh, climate change? There's a new study out. You have to use a reusable bag, something like, 152 times in order for it to, in any way, make an impact um, similar to using one plastic bag and then just having that cycle. So the problem, too, is that look, these bags can be, when you put meat in them, and sometimes even vegetables, they can become contaminated. I remember the at National Review wrote a fantastic piece a couple of years ago about really just how disgusting these bags can become filled with bacteria. And the worst part is, is that people put the groceries in, they bring them inside, they empty them out, and we all know how busy people are, right? We're all busy, and they, they take the jumble of bags and throw them in a tub, and they sit in the hot sun, and that bacteria just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies, and pretty soon, you know, a green pepper grows free, or a soda goes free, or, you know, Somehow you are going to contaminate the fresh groceries that you're putting into a container bag. Ew, 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 ew. You put the, yeah. It's because, think about it, it's in the trunk of your car. And in the winter, it's great because it's so cold, you're like, there's there's nothing growing. But in the right. summertime, you put that bag that had that, you know, vegetables or whatever in it. Meat, um, yeah, meat. Yeah. Meat, yeah. It it's sits around in your trunk. It's not, it's, it's not just that. It's also the idea that if there is any reason something that you put in a bag that is contaminated, um, you know, you put even in the winter, if that bag, you know, if there's chicken juice that gets on that bag, and then maybe you, some people leave the bag inside their house. So it's not a matter of hot or cold. It could just be in your house. You can have this bacteria growing in these bags, even if it's, you know, if it's that of winter. Keep that bag inside in a pantry, say, or by the back door. And you grab it on your way out. It's just not a slow move. And again, we need to remember: look, there's been a lot of research into what what are the contents of solution of, of things like landfills. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion that these plastic bags end up end up in the ocean, and they, these plastic bags are killing you know ducks and wildlife and and uh, fish. Well, they actually did studies, and it turns out that plastic bags are not the cause. They're not the, the thing that are clogging up the oceans and, and river basins and, and killing uh, wildlife and fish. They just aren't. Uh, the, the numbers are actually very low. So, again, you know, it's similar to the straw issue. So you have all these woke you know, businesses wanting to look like they're involved in, and they're virtue signaling and they're doing things like banning straws, um, which is a Starbucks, Marriott Corporation, and a number of other, of other corporations that ban straws. Well, Straws make up point about point zero 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 tens of zeros and then some number, like one five percent 
of the pollution that's in the ocean. The real, the, the, the bulk, 99% of the, of the ocean pollution is coming from nine rivers, seven of which are in Asia, two of which are in Africa, and it's mostly fishing equipment. It is, it is people in developing nations that are dumping massive amounts of fishing equipment and plastic and garbage in the ocean, which is then being collected, but it is Asian and African countries. It is not some person sitting in Brooklyn drinking a venti macchiato and, and their stir or their coffee stir ends up in the ocean. It just isn't happening. Mm. So, Julie, my producer is saying that we're having trouble um, like hearing you over your cell phone. Can you, can we, can we disconnect and have you call back? Um, Because sometimes it helps. I think I think I have the phone away from my head. So I'm sorry. This might be better. Okay, let's let's keep going. So I'm, the information you're giving is fantastic because I one of the things that I absolutely adore about you and IWF is any issue that I'm starting to get like riled up about, I can go to you guys and find out whether or not the rileage is um, warranted. <laughs> I can actually find out is should I be upset because I'm eating too much sugar or am I just listening to a bunch of people who don't want me to have any fun? Uh, you know, is it like the Bible says, everything in moderation, or should I? You know, should I really get mad and right. start boycotting X, Y, or Z? And you guys, like that information you just gave about the straws. Remember, we just went through this. The straws are going up the noses of animals, and that's why we can't have plastic straws anymore. Never mind the human beings who have to use a straw to drink because they have a disability. Uh, they Absolutely. have to have a straw to drink. And so these people are now having to carry straws with them. And I even, I, I went so far, I, I got riled up but this time justifiably so. I got riled and went the other way and said, y'all go to Amazon and you can buy 500 straws for like 11 bucks and you can put them in individual bags and put them in your purse. And whenever you go somewhere, you can have your own plastic straw because if you need it, if you need a straw to drink, then by all means, you should be able to have it without some, you know, whacked out liberal telling you you, you, you're killing whatever you're not killing. Because what you're saying is... If we're recycling the bags, we're actually doing better than reusing the bags 152 times and possibly spreading E. coli. That's exactly right. And, you know, again, I don't want to discourage people. Well, look, if you want to use your own bag, but you have to be responsible with it. It does take extra steps. But, again, you know, I, 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 I just feel like sometimes people take all these extra steps, but it does it accomplishes nothing. Um, you know, there's, ban- there's all these sort of ideas of banning styrofoam or ba- banning plastic food containers. You know, these things are convenience, and they are a convenience, a convenience. And it seems today that a lot of very liberal environmental activists just hate the idea of convenience. They can't stand it. Well, you know what? Convenience is really good for me. I'm a busy mom. I have three boys. I make their lunches every single day. God bless individually bagged things of, of potato chips. I love just being able to throw those things in. I love being able to sometimes throw in a pack of cookies. Or, you know, uh, I, I, I love being able to have a little baggie so I can put some baby carrots in there. I don't want you to think I only give them disgusting food. I actually <laughs> have them eat some, some healthy items. But the convenience of having little plastic bags or having little um, prepackaged items it's a, it's a, it, it's, it used to be considered progress. I mean, I talk to my mom all the time about what it was like when I was growing up, and there were not these this many conveniences for parents. And so that, that's what frustrates me, too, is this sort of idea that you should feel guilty um, for taking shortcuts or using convenience items 
Um, well, convenience is a wonderful thing. Julie, I, I gotta, I gotta share my, my story about the little 100 calorie bags is I, I used to budget <laughs> our stuff down to like, you know, the penny. And so I would go to Sam's club and buy that, you know, two bags of chips for three eighty eight, And then I would come <laughs> home and I would buy the tiny, it's called a snack Ziploc bag. And I yeah. bought the grocery store brand. So I was saving like a dollar per box of those. So I'd buy two or three boxes of those. And I'd come home and after I put all of the food away while the kids were playing, I would go through and I would fill each of those tiny little 100, it, it, they call them 100 calorie snack bags, yeah. but the original ones were the ones you filled yourself. And I would fill chips, pretzels, cheese puffs, you know, whatever. And my kids would take a piece of fruit, but they would also have one or two of those thrown in because on the bus, I would rather them have their own snack that they could take out and right. eat than ha- eat off of a friend or you know, all that other disgusting stuff. And so I did that for years. And then the 100 calorie snack bags came out. And so I, you know me, I took, I bought a box of six. I un, I undid the, the thing. I dumped out that 100 calorie bag of snacks into my snack size bag to see if it would be the same amount because yeah. I would be paying for six instead of buying a whole bag of chips or a whole bag of cookies. Right. And when I realized that it was less, 100 calories is less than that snack size zip bag. And my kids used to say, mommy, why do you give us this tiny bag? Give us a sandwich size bag of chips. I'm like, because it's too much salt. You can't have that many chips two times a day. You're already having chips when you get home. So no, you can't have more. So this is like totally messing up my system. So I went for two or three years without using those until our oldest daughter, who's always the voice of logic and reason, even from afar via text message, she says to me, (laughs) mommy, you're working really hard filling these snack bags when you could give me one of the other pre-made ones. And I said, yeah, I am, but you're getting more. And she said, but the other bags are easier, don't you think? And then she just walked off. And so I started using the other ones after that. And I told her, you're not getting as much snacks, but sure, here they are. What you're talking about with convenience is so, it's so basic to the way we live here in America. And it's one of those things where I, I guess millennials and some others who are younger feel guilty about it where I see it as it's wonderful because it frees up more time to do something else. Like maybe gather up the plastic bags that you're done using, put them in a single bag and take them to the grocery store with you next time. So throw them in your trunk, throw them in the back seat so you can recycle those. So if you think about it, if you take one convenience, you can use that time you save to recycle or to help the environment in a way that actually works. That's exactly right. And you know, the thing is, is that there's, we in this country, we parent so intensely these days. We parent in a way that our parents would never recognize. You know, from the time you, you deliver your child in the hospital, man, you better breastfeed that baby. And then when, you, when that baby starts eating, eating food, you better make that, that baby food homemade. And, man, when that kid starts getting older, you better bake the bread and preferably you've grown the grain in your mm-hmm. own backyard.
project at IWF, the um, progress and innovation. Progress and innovation are wonderful things. It used to be wonderful that, you know, we can produce bread that can sit on the shelf for a week without going bad because of mm-hmm. the use of a tiny, a tiny bit of a chemical called azodicarbonamide. Now, that, that, the use of a tiny trace amount of that chemical in a loaf of bread will keep that bread fresher for days and days and days. It used to be that, you know, two days down the road, the, the bread would go stale or mold. And so nowadays you have the, the exact reverse. Now people are, 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 are saying, oh, it's terrible that bread companies use chemicals in their bread. Well, again, this stuff used to be thought of as progress and innovation and making food cheaper and more reliable and more durable on the shelves. Um, so we have to push back on this sort of regressive policies and regressive suggestions coming from environmental activists. It just makes life harder for us and parenting less fun. And Julie, the kids don't remember it. So um, this is the part that will really, it'll chafe your buns if you're a mom and you want to be doing all these things, growing the bread, growing the wheat, raising the chickens. The kids will remember some of it, but what they remember the most is whether or not you looked old and tired and you were always annoyed because you're in there breaking your eighth load of loaf of bread in one week instead of just buying yeah. six loaves and putting four in the freezer and letting the kids make all the sandwiches they want. And if they don't make sandwiches, you throw that extra loaf of bread in the freezer until it's yeah. needed. I mean, I'm just so I, I encourage people listen to Julie Gunlock, who your name is lighting up the online. Uh, everyone's loving your last <laughs> name is Gunlock. Um, we, we got some Second Amendment lovers on here. Um, I, I got to say, if you want to look young and you want to be saucy and have your husband still totally excited by you, even after the kids leave home, take advantage of some of the modern conveniences and spend your 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 mental and physical capital and your time on the stuff that really matters to you. And leave the rest of it like the growing of the eggs. We considered getting chickens, and they're not allowed in our municipality. And by the time we went over and tried to see if we could get an exemption, the kids had kind of, like, moved on. And so we didn't get them. We just have a dog, a a hair dog that has to be groomed every five weeks. I mean, you know, we're not not as basic as we should be. But I, I just encourage people, find out Julie's stuff, her book, her work. Get, get your hands on it, read it. It'll free you up and allow you to just live and enjoy the conveniences that we have. Such a blessing to have them. And um, Julie Gunlock, Director, Center for Progress and Innovation at Independent Women's Forum. Julie, it's good to talk to you, girl. I love talking to you. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's talk again soon. All right, we'll be back with more. Stacy on the right. After these messages, I'm Stacy Washington. Keep it here. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. As a husband and wife, Lauren and I have always tried to find common interests. Growing up, Lauren was athletic but never followed professional teams. Not only was pro football my job, but I always seemed to be watching sports on TV. Over the years, Lauren has tried to watch with me. Throughout our marriage, I have looked for things I could do that she enjoys as well. That's right. For example, I'd love to read and discuss books, but Tony doesn't. The idea of a book club pains him, but I know that he supports me in the things that I like doing. In any marriage, the key is respect and understanding of the other's needs ahead of your own. 
Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Urban Family Talk presents Sherathon 2019. It's time to take a stand, a stand in the gap. I've been listening to Urban Family for several years now, actually since before Addison Baby Number 4 was born. This radio ministry has blessed me immensely. It's a breath of fresh air and an almost favorite part of my life. Your solid stance of focusing on day-to-day issues through a biblical worldview lens is just a blessing and an encouragement to just many, many folks. As Christ followers, we are to go and tell. Go and tell the gospel. Well, y'all do it with such style, and I appreciate it. I thank you, and I pray for your ministry, and I pray that the Lord continues to bless you. God is using Urban Family Talk to influence the lives of listeners across America. Join us for our three-day share April 23rd through 25th, here on listener-supported Urban Family Talk. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Impeachment is on the table. It may just depend on whose table you're talking about. Your family serve a traditional turkey at Thanksgiving or a deep-fried turducken, cream gravy, giblet gravy, gravy with meat droppings, green bean casserole on the side, or cornbread, sweet potato pie, maybe pumpkin pie a la mode. It all hinges on whose house in which you are dining. Impeachment isn't on the table in the home of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But impeachment indeed is the main entree on the table of Democratic Representatives Rashida Tlaib of Michigan and Al Green of Texas, despite the preliminary findings of special counsel Robert Mueller, Tlaib and Green are still pushing for the impeachment of President Trump. Green said that Mueller's findings, quote, didn't change his view one scintilla. Impeachment is not on the table until it is on the table, said Pelosi. Yet impeachment is on the bill of fare served by Green, Tlaib and others. So in fact, what constitutes the table? Pelosi. She's the one that counts. And that's why impeachment is hardly the main course for most Democrats. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. By the way, guys, nothing artificial about if we don't win, if you don't win, you got a problem. If you win, we win their future. But you realize 54% of the American people think their children will never reach the standard of living they've reached. That's never happened before. 54%. And you guys can sit in the edge of what if you, if you, I, I don't want you to have to stand all along, but, but it's up to you. By the way, he gave me permission to touch him. Right? All right, so that was Joe Biden speaking at this event, and he kind of revived the controversy around him touching the kids and the women and everybody else. And, uh, I mean, the crowd responded well to that, but it remains to be seen whether Americans will give him the same kind of wholehearted, enthusiastic pass for what he says is he's just being affectionate and he's the same with everyone and he didn't do anything wrong and it wasn't untoward and no one was upset about it and contrast that with the comments of women. I also think it's interesting that CNN, and this is totally off show sheet here, but I, CNN did this almost hit piece on Kamala Harris, uh, highlighting the fact that she gave someone who killed a police officer, the guy just happened to be Latino, young, 
married for a few years with a small child, like barely, barely a toddler, a baby, just learning how to take her first steps. And he was killed by an illegal alien. And the wife said she never got a call from Kamala Harris, who was then just recently elected prosecutor. And they have footage of her walking down the hallway, you know, stomping with her, letting the hair fly and letting the whole, you know, I'm woman, hear me roar, walk in heels and um, being guided around by her staffer by the elbow. And she just never reached out to the family. And before the guy was convicted or anything, she announced that he would not receive the death penalty because the people of California, that's what they wanted. And so they wouldn't go after the death penalty. Now, as the prosecutor, it was her choice to make the decision as to whether or not they should put the death penalty on the table or leave it off. She made the decision to leave it off. They hadn't even convicted the guy yet. And so they were insulted. Even Dianne Feinstein came out against what she said. Now, she later reversed herself. But the point is, this is not the kind of thing you would normally expect to see from CNN against someone on their side. And yes, CNN has a side and their side is for the Democrats. So uh, I wasn't sure if pigs were flying through the the air or what. But uh, yeah, they did a hit piece on Kamala Harris. I'm not sure what they know that we don't know, but I guess we'll find out more. Um, I just I think circling back around to what Joe Biden said, I just I want to point out that if you're a parent and you've seen something uncomfortable like that happen and it was your child to have the same person who was touchy feely with your child, make a joke about it later. It is, it's smarmy. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not okay. Um, and so they laughed and everything, but I think it's just that they, so if you idolize Joe Biden and you think he should be the president of the United States, you don't care what he's done. And, a reference to that would, I guess, be really insulting to you, where to me, it's just appropriate to look at his previous behavior. So that's just weird. I think the whole thing is really weird. It shows you how far down the pike we've come from where we used to kind of put the comfort or at least the discomfort, the apparent obvious discomfort of children and women used to be much more of a concern. And now it isn't. And I think that's because of this push to have public spaces, um, you know, degenderized. You have, you know, transgender people. I decide I'm a man today. I decide I'm a woman tomorrow. Go in whatever bathroom they want. Kids who are sexually confused going into, you know, demanding to be on football teams, go in locker rooms, go in, you know, different places. And if they're given an alternative accommodation, it's like, no, I have to be in the room with these other kids. Um, And parents saying, you have to do this because if you don't, we'll be bigots. And so kids being made to stuff down, being uncomfortable, undressing in front of what is a biological male just because the biological male says he's a girl. If you go that far with kids in K through 12 education and you start justifying that and you start vilifying people who raise the alarm, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten direct messages from people who are like, you're so bigoted and hateful towards transgendered. I'm not. I don't hate anybody. I don't have the energy, to be honest with you. I just don't have the energy to hate. Now, I dislike the actions of quite a few people. But hatred, that takes too much energy for me. And I think it's more about them understanding what the upset is. And they don't have a justification. They can't answer it. So they go to name calling and stuff like that. And that's fine. We see you. We know what you're up to. Um, 
But I think, you know, I feel bad for the kids because now you've got Joe Biden showing up at these events and people are pushing their kids up on stage with him. And the kids might be unaware of the controversy surrounding him. Or you know how kids are nowadays with their iPads and their phones. They might be aware of it. And they might be wondering to themselves, why is my mom putting me up here with this guy? You know, um, I know he says he's going to be much more careful about the way he is around people. But why? I just, in in a country of 320 million people, I resurrect my question from the Clinton campaign. Why was Hillary Clinton the only person the Democrats could find? There were no other qualified women. And now here we are again. Now it's Joe Biden. They they don't have any new blood that they're willing to actually put anything behind. And please miss me, Bernie bros, with the whole idea that Bernie Sanders is new blood. He's not new. He's got the old ideas from the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Communism, socialism, bread lines, government command and control. He's not the new guy. And a lot of these other ones aren't the new guy either. The new guy or the new girl. They're all retreads. Same old failed ideas, same old failed proposals, all of them wrapped in the new shiny aluminum foil of racism. We got to fight racism. We got to stop racism. I mean, you would think that we were having race crimes every day all over the country. We are not. In a country this large, if racism was that big of a problem, it would be legitimate stories of race hatred type crimes all over the news all the time. It's the same thing they try to make you think whenever there's a mass shooting that gun owners are the problem. If gun owners were the problem with 450 to 600 million guns in this country, everybody would know about it because the problem would be that there weren't very many people left because the gun owners would have taken everybody out, right? If, if that was the problem, wouldn't, isn't, isn't it a logical conclusion that the ones who owned all the guns would have taken everybody else out by now? So we know it's not the gun owners. Uh, We know it's not. We just know it's a deflection. It's not that every single person who's not of color is just a total raging racist because whites are still the majority in this country. How could they possibly all be racist and everybody? uh, We're all just still living our lives, still employed, still got stuff to do. How is that possible? So we got to talk about this. Um. And I'm really, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm legitimately surprised. The strange case of the disappearing Virginia Democrat scandal. Now, this is by Caleb Howe over at Mediaite. And I'm so glad that he as a conservative is putting up with whatever drama he's got to put up with to keep the conservative voice alive over there at Mediaite. Uh, so remember, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, Mr. Keep the Baby Comfortable While We Decide Whether or Not We're Going to Kill It. He had a photo op signing, he he had a ceremonial signing of legislation on foster care. And there was a bipartisan group of state officials and legislators that were behind him during the signing. And Carlos Johnson, a young man who aged out of foster care in the state of Virginia and has been the face of the campaign to improve the system and increase the number of foster families in Virginia, he was seated next to him. Nice moment, great photo op. But how is it that this is, the situation for Northam two months after he said infanticide was okay in Virginia. This, this is how we know that, and I, I'm not downgrading if you work at a church or if you're, you know, don't, don't feel downgraded here, but I'm just assessing the lay of the land as it is. 
church, we are not on fire and we're not igniting the culture when he can make a statement like that. And he's still seated in the governor's chair and all the churches in Virginia are still packed out on Sundays and people are still, you know, we're going to brunch on Sunday after church and all that stuff. But no, but no churches have raised up their, their hands and said, wait a minute, you just need to know next time you're up for election, not one member of this congregation will vote for you because you can't talk about killing live babies and still be the governor of Virginia. No press conferences, no national day of prayer type ceremonies, no churches showing up at the, the steps of the, the legislative house there and, and, you know, the governor's mansion anywhere. Nothing. Utter silence. And, he, and this is two months ago that he said that. He also said he, uh, remember, he was the moonwalker. He admitted he wore blackface. He, he's a member of the party that has literally changed the tenor of conversation in America to that of everything's racist. This bottle of water is racist. This teal dress is racist. I'm a racist. Everybody and everything is racist because of the Democrats. But their guy, Governor Northam, he gets to wear blackface and stand in pictures with the KKK and he's still got his job. Steve King, we don't even know what he really said because the New York Times article could have been a total fabrication. It's just his word against the reporter. And he lost his committee ships. And this guy's still running around doing whatever he wants. Also, Attorney General Mark Herring had a blackface scandal. Also in February, Justin Fairfax. Remember the lieutenant governor, black guy, young, up-and-coming, rising star in the Democratic Party? He was accused of sexual assault by two women. No resignations, no repercussions, nothing. No one's been stepped aside. No one's been forced out. No one's stepped down. No one's been stripped of anything. Nothing has happened to these men. Now, I ask you, the next time someone says, that Republican legislator did this, that Republican said that, what would be the impetus for us to do anything in light of this? Why are we constantly ripping our people down when these are legitimately concerning issues that have been raised about these men and they have walked away scot-free? The Democrats have simply chosen to look the other way, to not be concerned about what these guys have done. And Fairfax is innocent until proven guilty. So we don't know if he's guilty of these things, but that is not the same kind of, uh, of largesse that was given to Kavanaugh, was it? Was Kavanaugh innocent until proven guilty? Or was it that we had to believe Christine Blasey Ford and her Vaseline caked up uh, glasses that she was wearing? So, oh, and lest we forget, Keith Ellison. Remember him? He was accused of sexual, uh, sexual assault, um, just crazy stuff. And he just left his position in Congress, and now he's running. I forget what he's doing, AG in Minnesota, something like that. Um, remember somebody that we all knew and loved back in the Fox News days, Megyn Kelly? Didn't she just lose her job on the Today Show for simply saying that everyone used to do you know, costumes and sometimes it was blackface. I mean, I, the comment she made was really benign. It wasn't that she was justifying blackface or racism. She was just talking about the way it was where she grew up. Um, 
and she lost her job. Now, she walked away sweet because that attorney set up a good contract for her. And I mean her. She's an attorney. She set up a good contract for herself. She knew these liberals might turn on me at any time. And if they do, they're going to pay me all the way out, all the way out the door. And she and she got paid. Um, I like it a lot. That's that's the way you should set it up if you're going to set it up. So. Unbelievable that there have been no repercussions. What I'm hoping is that we're going to learn something from this. Um, one of the things that I think is super important for us to do is to keep our eyes peeled and our, our, our ears peeled and our, our um, eyes peeled and ears open. If I could talk today and make sure that we are aware that the Democrats plan to resurrect the whole access Hollywood tape thing for 2020. And we should not only be not, not concerned about it. We should be yawning. I mean, like yawning hard, like you're about to fall asleep any second. We should be simply just just talk, keep on talking about whatever you were talking about. If they say access Hollywood, it's almost like you can't hear it. Words you can't hear for 100, Alex, that we should not be able to even receive any information having to do with anything like that. If I hear access Hollywood, I'm going to say Governor Northam, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax. I'm sorry, what? You don't know who they are? I don't know what access Hollywood is. Oh, it's a tape. It's nothing. Move on. That's how it's going to be for me. I don't know about y'all. I mean, these people are joking around about killing babies and we're supposed to be upset about a tape from 11 years ago where the president was bragging. I just don't, don't, I won't. That's, that's the answer to that. All right. That's the show for today. Thank you for being here and making your home at American Family Radio. Have a blessed evening. Good evening from the heartland. 